I think there is a high profile nature that surrounds VC funding. I get it all the time. Every second headline that's about, you know, which startup raised X million dollars at what valuation. I don't blame any business owner, not just startups. I don't blame any business owner to think straight away that they think about the dilutive or uh, or the equity-based type of funding options because those are the high-profile stories. And I would say a lot of people attribute those stories to success. But also coming from that world on the other side of the table, I also know the baggage that comes with that type of funding. Think about the business model first and the business model suitability to the different type of funding options. Because actually, a lot of the equity-based or the fees funding uh, type of model is very suitable from the zero to one period where there's a lot of R&D and day one, it's not revenue earning. A lot of businesses start day one as a revenue generating business, right? So if you're an e-commerce or you're direct to consumer, those type of business models can leverage a lot more different funding sources than VCs. Welcome back to The Purpose Effect, the podcast about purpose-driven businesses and what we can learn about solving some of the world's biggest problems from the women who are solving them. I'm Elena Kersey, and I'm on a mission to learn how we can build better, better work, stronger communities, a healthier planet. If you believe there's a better world out there waiting for us, then this podcast is for you. When I speak to women business owners, the most common struggle that they tell me about is how to access enough money to grow their businesses. And even some of the women on this podcast who have built amazing businesses with great products struggle to access the funding they need to scale and to make their businesses financially sustainable. We can only do good and we can only create impact if we have the money to do that. And the fact of the matter is that 82% of small businesses fail because of lack of capital. There's a lot of noise and big, bold headlines when it comes to businesses who have raised VC funding. And this paints a really lopsided picture of what success in business looks like. And accessing grants, loans, or other funding options is time-consuming and often wrapped up in a lot of red tape. So today's guest, Jenny Orr, is trying to solve this problem with FundFluent. FundFluent is a business that she co-founded in 2022 that brings grants, loans, and other financing options together under one roof. FundFluent also connects the funding options that your business is eligible for to your own data sources so that you can easily find and apply for grants or loans through the system. And FundFluent also helps you build your funding strategy. So if you don't even know where to begin, FundFluent has a solution for you too. In our chat, Jenny says that the goal of FundFluent is to be your friendliest funding crew, which I loved. So if you need help getting the capital to take your business to the next level, FundFluent is there to help you land the plane. Jenny was lucky in that she found out what she was good at and what she really loved doing really early on in her career. She started her first business when she was at university and has been building businesses or helping businesses grow ever since. So let's get into our chat with Jenny Orr, serial business builder and co-founder of FundFluent. But before we do, I'm going to pour myself a hug in a mug with a cup of tea bird tea. I love tea bird tea, and not just because the packaging is absolutely beautiful, although it is, 
or because the tea is organic and comes in biodegradable tea bags, although it does, but because I love the way T-Bird Tea's founder, Ashley Cotterell, uses her business to support other businesses doing good. Ashley partners with brands and not-for-profits doing good for people and planet because she believes that this is how you build sustainable businesses. And I couldn't agree more. So if you want delicious, healthy, beautifully packaged tea that makes impact, you can get 20% off using the code HUGINAMUG20. I'd recommend the Earl Grey and Orange. It's my favorite. Yeah, I never really followed a traditional career path, if there is, a, is even a traditional um, career path. But I do remember at uni when a lot of people were exploring the graduate programs and I went to a uni where definitely there was like, you know, a lot of recruitment days where a lot of my peers would go through and explore these programs. But I came out of some of those interactions knowing that's not what I want. I wanted to drop out of uni um, to start a business. And at that point, it was around education and technology applied in education, which was way before ed tech was even a fundable topic. And yeah, I started building businesses with my sister. And then I went and did um, like my own thing for wedding event planning. And all these things made me realize that I find myself in the best form of myself building things and actually getting my hands dirty. And that translated to a big part of my career was with BCG Digital Ventures. And that's building startups with large corporations across the world. Definitely love building businesses, whether that is a small business like a tutoring center for high schoolers trying to get into university, right through to like an event planning company, right through to digital technology-based startups with some of the world's largest companies. I got really addicted to building businesses and eventually that became my thing building digital businesses. The kinds of businesses that were going to those university career days were really traditional businesses. And, you know, I studied law. So there it was a very defined career path. And I remember thinking myself, like, I'm not sure if this is for me, but I've spent all of my time studying this. I don't really know what else to do. Yeah. So I admire that you had the confidence to just try to do something different so early on. The other thing that I think that I've noticed when I've spoken to all kinds of founders is that your confidence in building things grows and develops the more times you do it. So what was the seed of the idea behind your first business? Was that Pinnacle Coaching? We were part of that ecosystem around a very, very competitive nature to getting into university. And that's across the board, I would assume. But I would say in the Asian community, I think the, uh, I would say the pressure that is then applied to the academic side of um, what they define success looks like is, is huge. And my sister and I always felt that the way a lot of Asian parents or the way a lot of parents think about the success of their child is over-indexing on uh, certain things which we feel like, hey, as, a, as an individual – there's different types of growth, right? There's different things that you can be good at. We had people who had great talents beyond academic. And my sister and I felt that we being part of the system as well as going to tutoring school after hours on the weekends, we felt like a lot of them kind of squashes out the beauty or the fun in education. 
And we're the type of people where when we want change, we want to be part of the change. Let's try to build something. And it came with like a physical presence, right? Like we just built a physical um, tutoring school, started taking in students, which I would say compared to some of the other offerings out there, we were more caring about, you know, what they wanted out from their um, learning journey. And we ended up attracting a lot of people, which I would say had a lot of interest that sat outside of the academic side, you know, might be sports. In Australia, sports is a huge thing. We dealt with a lot of like people who are going into like sports scholarships, but academically they also needed some help. And we sort of built this niche and we realized that we had the ability to build businesses and then be it sort of like there was at that point, um, there's the opportunity cost is not that high because you you think like, okay, what's the what's the worst that can happen? I, I get a job. I, I get a full-time job at some, somewhere else. And so that the way I see at that point in time, um, it's sort of like you're so set to be bold and courageous because I guess the baseline is actually like, well, just I'm still in uni at that stage and there's no fear in just trying. And that's a mindset which I've tried to carry going through many different career or experiences, very initial um, mindset of not fearing to fail. And I think that's something which is gets harder and harder with experience and and time. Um, that baggage, uh, that burden of knowledge sometimes prevents you from, you know, being as bold or as courageous as you could be. The risks also increase the older you get, right? And the more career experiences you have behind you, the opportunity cost becomes higher. Yeah, absolutely. That's a, a really interesting insight. So let's talk about FunFluent now and where the seeds for that came from and what you learned maybe from these two previous experiences that you brought through to your work with FunFluent. Building my own businesses, I understand firsthand the type of problems a small business owner has and also funding being a huge part of that. How do you, you know, fund the growth of your business? I think that's a, that's a problem statement that I embodied at a very early stage um, in my career. I then went to a company called Boston Consortium Group Digital Ventures, and they are sort of the venture building arm of a large consulting firm. And in that world, we worked with some of the world's largest companies, and they have resources and money to be able to fund innovative concepts that leverage technology. And I realized in that role, I realized the big role that technology can play in driving access to financial services, whether that is on a smaller incremental scale right through to fundamentally changing what financial services could look like. And also through those journeys, I also understand the different type of baggage that comes with the money in which is used to fund that business. And the reason why we start from Fluent is because we fundamentally believe technology has a huge role to play to be able to help small businesses to tell their full story through data. And that should really help them to assess funding options which match their intent. And I would say in that world, you're making um, something that's quite complex a bit more simple. But our dream and our big vision is to fundamentally make or reimagine what small business funding looks like. So for, for us, 
technology is the piece which will allow for the whole ecosystem to redefine that. I love the vision, but I just want to dig a little bit deeper into the disconnect, the the actual gap that exists. What is it that small businesses need that the traditional institutions aren't able to serve or can't see? Or what exactly is the is the pain point? Yeah, sure. I think um, when we talk about the funding gap, and uh, look, statistically, it's huge. So I think globally, the small business funding gap is US $5.2 trillion. So that gap is in terms of the type of money or funding that a small business needs and they're not able to access. But I would say um, the softer side of that problem or the softer side of, of that gap is actually as a small business owner and myself included, being a startup, an early stage startup, we wake up thinking about, oh my God, I have this amazing idea initiative project, which I believe should exist in this world, which doesn't exist today. How do I make that happen? Now, you see, I've just described the whole problem statement without mentioning the word funding. People don't wake up thinking, oh, I need access funding today. It's like, oh, or, you know, I, I need to borrow money today to make this happen. They wake up being fueled and motivated by a dream, a vision, something that they truly believe should exist that doesn't exist today. And the reason why I'm sharing this is because I think it's very fundamental flip on how um, the financial ecosystem looks at this problem. Yes, there is a dollar amount attached to the funding gap, but actually the access to it or the inclusiveness of it actually stems around how a small business owner thinks about the actual underlying why behind funding. And so what, how that, how, I guess how that problem ends up servicing is from a small business perspective, they don't always understand the exact eligibility requirements or documents or the exact data or information that's required to access the funding that they need. And also, they don't know the exact funding that they need because they are so anchored off the impact that they're trying to drive. So, there's a two-layer level problem of, you know, the understanding what they actually need and what the funding intent is. And, And then on the funding side, I would say it takes a lot of effort, energy, and sometimes resources, human resources, to be able to understand the full story or the full intent what are they trying to do with that money? And so what happens is for them or a financial institution or a traditional um, financial institution is that they need to go through a layer of cleansing and validating and structuring all that data before any decisions are made against this underserved cohort. And by the time they do this, sometimes the return on investment, so the ROI on these efforts will not make sense. And hence, the segment is really hard to justify from a numbers perspective. So what we're trying to do is, or the huge hypothesis that we have is that when you leverage technology to take away the onus of ingesting, structuring, validating, cleaning that data, taking that away from the ecosystem and allowing technology to do that much more effectively and efficiently, it allows everyone in the ecosystem to basically have a positive ROI in serving this segment. And Mm -hmm. hopefully that also means in better development of more inclusive and more accessible financial products for small businesses. 
So essentially taking the data that this business has and presenting it in a way and structuring it in a way that financial institutions are going to be able to better analyze whether or not this investment makes sense. Because a lot of businesses, small businesses, have started because there's a problem they're addressing and they probably haven't looked at their business in the same way a financial institution would. So does that mean that you are you're a tech product as well? You're actually developing the technology to be able to sort and better present this data? Yes, correct. So actually that's the... That's the heart of what we do. Although we also, I would say, wrap it in an experience layer so that we allow small businesses to use some of these tools to understand their story better. But at the core of what we do, we we call it embedded finance. So basically what we do is providing the technology or the underlying infrastructure to allow the ecosystem to provide funding services or to create better financial products for the small business segment. We have basically API-led solutions that allow consented business data to be passed through to whichever funding option that the small business is trying to apply to or from a financial institution perspective or a lender or a uh, fintech, someone that is trying to provide a service or a product to small businesses, they can also access our data products to be able to more effectively and more digitally run their end-to-end decisioning process. And I guess the reason why we are so heavily um, focused or the business is quite focused around um, the technology side is because we believe that anyone that's looking to fund the small business segment, there is a lot of merit in helping them to get their products to market faster and have that inbuilt flexibility or for them to tinker the different parameters of their products to be able to better match and better suit small businesses. And I think for us, the bigger direction, I would say, is definitely in in that world because we also don't believe in owning every single interaction and engagement with small businesses. The Solving the inclusion and accessibility problem has to be stemmed around how do you help the ecosystem to do better on it. So I want to go into some of the things that small businesses should be aware of when they're putting together their funding strategy, because I was surprised to see that you have, I think it's over 75 million US dollars worth of grants listed on Fundfluent. I was staggered that that is the size of the opportunity of of grant funding. And I guess this this is a bias, but this is a bias that I think a lot of small businesses have. Grants are small fry, they're usually for impact businesses, they're for local businesses, they are for certain types of businesses. So the fact that this is the amount of grants that you have listed on Fundfluent I thought was interesting. But what should small businesses be aware of when they're putting together their funding strategy? Because a lot of businesses are looking to go straight to VC or angel investment. Yeah, and I don't blame them because I think there is a high-profile nature that surrounds VC funding. I get it all the time. I mean, I'm right in the middle of that tech startup, all the news that we consume, or at least I know I always have to keep a really um, strong eye on, is all that VC funding flow or every second headline that's about, you know, which startup raised X million dollars at what valuation I don't blame any business owner, not just startups. I don't blame any business owner to think that, you know, 
straight away that they think about the dilutive or uh, or the equity based type of funding options because those are the high profile stories and I would say a lot of people attribute those stories to success but I also also coming from that world on the other side of the table I also know the baggage that comes with that type of funding and as a product, so I my my career has been very heavily focused on product management. And as a person that cares a lot about the product and the ability for the product to deliver value to the end customer, I see that what that baggage looks like when it translates to okay, how much control and ownership you have on the business itself to really deliver value to the end customer as opposed to strategic value to the corporate investor or strategic value to the investors that are investing in your business. So I would say going back to your question in terms of for small businesses, like what are some of the things that, you know, they should be thinking about when they're thinking about the topic of funding, I would say think about the business model first and the business model suitability to the different type of funding options. Because actually a lot of the equity-based or the fee funding uh, type of model is very suitable for products which have a, I would say, especially from the zero to one period where there's a lot of R&D and day one, it's not revenue earning. And it really shouldn't be because there's a lot of effort that, you know, goes around in creating an innovative product, which is trying to penetrate part of the market that's probably not, you know, market hasn't seen before. And so they don't, you know, you don't even know whether, you know, it would stick to the market. A lot of businesses start day one as a revenue generating business, right? So if you're an e-commerce or you're a direct-to-consumer, you're selling a physical product or a service that people can somewhat feel and know the what the value that they're getting. And that is a business model which is revenue generating day one. And I would say those type of business models can leverage a lot more different funding sources than feces, than equity-based funding. And I would say, yeah, the number one thing is to actually deeply understand your own business model and how value is exchanged between you and the customer or whatever layers in between you and the customer to really understand what you are trying to do or do better and how does funding help you do that. So, you know, some of the non, you you spoke about government grants. So there's so many government grants and programs that focus on supporting very specific topics, whether that's technology, R&D, and small businesses growing into markets outside of the uh, basically export markets, right? So basically, if you're a small business trying to grow um, outside of the market that you operate in, there's quite a lot of different government support that is available, as well as adopting technology for small businesses to make their processes more efficient. And as soon as you're generating revenue, there's also non-dilutive um, options, whether that's a traditional, you know, bank loan through to some of the partners that we work with, um, fintechs and alternative lenders are looking at revenue-based options to be able to so that so that small business owners can leverage their revenue growth for even more revenue growth. So that's there's a full gamut of options, and I think um, you don't hear about them as much because 
they don't make the headlines, right? Like no one makes the headlines in terms of, hey, this company leveraged X amount of, uh, you know, government grants, resources. They've generated X amount of revenue and, you know, they've taken out a loan to be able to grow that 10X. Like that's not the sexy headline that you see. (laughs) But, you know, if you're in the world of building a durable business, that is growing at a sustainable rate that you are very comfortable with, there is nothing wrong with that. And I think that's something that I've really been quite reflective on, especially with, you know, the investment winter that's going on and a lot of the tech layoffs. I realized that what I don't want as a leader of a tech company, an early stage tech company, I don't ever want to be in a position where based on macro environment, things that I can't control, that I need to let go of all my staff. And it's okay if you're not looking for growth as well. If you're doing a small business for financial freedom or, you know, trying to keep it at a, at a size which, you know, you know you have control over as well as you're not, you're not super aggressive about growing really quickly, that's okay as well. I think we often over-celebrate on the high growth our side of small businesses or businesses in general, but we often forget that things that are aligned with your values and what you're trying to achieve or the type of impact you're trying to achieve in the world, that's okay as well. I think, you know, it's an energy that I really connect with as well. And I'm also more attracted to businesses that are creating impact, businesses that are forever businesses, as you said, and businesses who the leaders of those businesses could leave but those businesses can continue. And the fact that you brought up the investment winter where in the fact that money is much more expensive now, how do you think this is going to affect not only the business that you're building, but the kinds of businesses that are going to be able to attract funding here on in? What should business owners be thinking about if they're trying to build forever businesses? Or sustainable businesses that provide them an element of freedom and an element of security when previously, you know, the biggest companies that you could have worked for, jobs that, you know, maybe five years ago we thought would have been great secure jobs at some of the big tech companies. Yeah, I mean, we're seeing that that's not secure. I think if there's anything that people of our generation who, I mean, I started my career in 2009, right? Like right after the global financial crisis. If there's anything that people of our generation have learned, it's that no job is secure. (laughs) And I think for me, the clarity that I have now is really understanding the different motivators for me as a person, which are non-monetary. Okay. And I think um, that's really important for anyone to understand as in particular a business owner. And because the money side is really important, don't get me wrong, that's, that's to do with the survival of the business and your ability to weather the storms that come with running a business. But when it gets really tough in a world full of adversity and full of negativity, you realize that the monetary component if you tie your feelings and vibes to that monetary component, you're going to lose juice very quickly. And for me, from a values perspective and how I, I think about what motivates me is the ability to truly help small businesses because the world kind of puts, especially for small businesses, 
who, again, previously I said the return on investment on this segment is usually so low. A lot of people, if they look at that segment and the initial interaction with a small business, as soon as they realize that the transactional value is not too high, they don't put in the effort to service that need. But what we've learned, especially in the past year, is just being able to help someone during a super tough time or during a time of uncertainty and ambiguity, I I get a really feel-good kick out of that, just purely from being friendly, approachable, and helpful. And I think that doesn't exist enough in the world because we often think about those interactions from a transactional lens first rather than a relationship-building lens or, you know, we're a founder for founders or we're, we're just entrepreneurs or we're just small business owners and it's okay to help one another because we know how tough it is and we know what it is like to build a business that's pre-product and pre-revenue and there's such a huge human element behind all these all these small businesses and impact businesses. We don't do enough to celebrate that or connect that. So, um, and I truly believe technology has a role to to play in that. So that's the that's the exciting bit in terms of where we're heading towards. Can I ask if you've noticed a shift when it comes to some of your partners, your lending partners, or the partners providing grants? Has there been a shift due to sort of the macroeconomic situation in the kinds of businesses they want to fund? Yeah, I think not just the macro, but also I would say the type of businesses that are getting um, incorporated or getting created, I would say that has defined the way financial institutions, both traditional and new age fintechs and alternative um, funders, they are trying to better understand the more innovative business models that are coming out. Because of technology and because of, I guess, um, the type of products that we consume, um, there are more and more different ways in which value is exchanged. And we like we we often talk about this internally as a team. So you have your e-commerce business and, yes, completely digital, and more or less they're still selling product, but just in a digital way. Quite easy to understand, but still a traditional financial institution might find it very, very hard to understand your business if you were to show them an Amazon sales report. (laughs) Like they probably don't know how to assess. Now, on the other end of that is let's say you're a content creator. Let's say you're not selling a physical or tangible product or service. Instead, you are selling influence. You are selling subscribership. You might be a um, content creator that also has merch, also has a subscription, a subscriber base for the content that you create. Now, these business models are coming out where the financial industry is still trying to wrap their head around it, right through to these completely new ways that digital platforms are monetizing completely intangible goods and services. We're talking about influencers. They like how where do you even start? And so rather than anchoring off, like I would say, the macro environment, I think it's also created a lot of opportunity and imagination around the new type of businesses that are getting created. And I would say a lot of the people that we're working with, especially being a tech company ourselves, we're working with a lot of people that actually want to understand what does the business of the future looks like and how do I facilitate the growth 
of these businesses. I'm super glass half full on this because I have a seat at that table when we talk about some of the way we think about financial products in that in that world. But I'm also not blinded by the fact that it's going to take time. There's always going to be a time lag between something new that's been created. So my ears pricked up when you started talking about the business of the future. And so you having a seat at the, this particular table and talking to the kinds of financial, financial institutions that you're talking to beyond the traditional players, what do you think we're going to see more of in the future? What are the businesses of the future looking like? How are their business models different? Yeah, what I see is they are going to be more and more digitally native, if not completely digitally native businesses. And the, I would say the characteristic that this brings with that is they're global from the get-go. So I, I find that really, really exciting because I would say uh, businesses or um, tangible businesses more or less have always started from a local entity perspective, like you're bound to a particular city and you're serving a segment which is within that city. Now, what I see with a lot of new age businesses is that they personally, as the person that is founding the business or building the business, they're not bound to a specific location. And the other angle that I see is that more and more the product and service that you're selling can be more and more intangible. So we started talking about content creators, right? Yep. Yes, there's a there's a part of them that they might be running, which is a very tangible business, you know, a merch or a subscription, um, a content subscription. Their business models, which kind of already exist. But what I'm really excited to see is how the next wave of businesses or the next wave of people who are creating businesses, they might be selling something that's completely intangible. And the monetization around that is still up for question, up for discussion, up for grabs. Like there's different type of platforms which are trying to monetize influence, eyeballs, subscribership, viewership in very different ways. And I can only imagine the amount of opportunity that comes with funding that flows effortlessly, not through just local economies, but globally. And I think there's so much more opportunity to tap into with, with that type of mindset. As you think about, you know, the path you've taken from setting up small businesses, setting up a brick and mortar educational provider, which then became a digital business to traditional management consulting and financial institutions to where you are now, is there like a common thread that runs through that? What has been like a guiding purpose for you as you've made those steps? Yeah, wow. Guiding purpose. I think this is a tough one. I think for me, and I think this guiding purpose, we've also adopted directly into our vision at Fontoy. I think the guiding purpose, and I don't know whether it's a purpose or not, but it's friendliness. And I think... The reason why that has become a purpose or I'm using it as a way to apply it to everything that we do 
making all that complexity that surrounds the financial in- industry into something that could be much more friendly. I think when I look back at all those different experiences, I am a person that I know, I now know that I bring a positive sense of energy that around every single topic that I touch, around every single interaction or value exchange, I try to make it a mission, make it my mission that those interactions are friendly interactions. Mm-hmm. Now, when you put that in the world of the financial industry, I think it creates a very, very stark juxtaposition, like a very, very stark contrast to what um, your average person thinks of the industry. And I think I found my purpose and I guess the purpose that has shrunk through every single experience that I have is how do I make every single interaction a friendly one? Because that's the person that I am. And I've now come to realize that the business that I build is also very, very stemmed off that. So I don't know whether that's like a purpose thing, but I know that is definitely something that is quite foundational to me. And I've now gotten really, really comfortable as using that as a North Star because I know that is a huge part of me and that is the huge part of how I solve every problem that I believe is worth solving. So yeah, like that, I mean, that's a, that's a tiny, huge thing. And when you put friendliness in the world of funding, that's a tough one, but I, I, I think it's possible. I love that because banks, lenders, the funding community has tra- traditionally not been thought of as friendly. Friendly, It's intimidating at best and many, many people, many business owners find the whole thing, you know, extremely daunting. So the fact that it's not just friendly, but in the way you describe FunFluent, you're more than a tech platform for small businesses. You're a partner in the in yeah. the most true sense for those businesses. Actually, on that, we've recently landed on what our, I guess, our core value proposition or the angle which we're approaching um, all of this. Uh, to your point, part, we went through all these words like partner, co-pilot, like, oh, like the mini CSO. We went through all of that. And what we've landed on is we are the friendliest funding crew. Crew being a very key word there because, you know, if you think about crew both from like an event perspective or crew that's on a plane, you don't realize this, but every single time you fly, you are trusting your lives with the crew. Now, they both help you do some really basic type of level um, needs or address some of your basic level needs like, deliver your food, your meals, your drinks. But also on the other end is when in the event of an emergency, the crew is also the people that you solely rely on and they are the professionals to basically take charge, land the plane, to solve the big problems that come with, you know, flying. You don't think about it because most of modern day travel, you don't realize all the things that could go wrong. But it's because the crew has made that look effortless. And um, there's that level of approachableness, friendliness, but also professionalism. 
And I think it just encapsulates exactly what we're trying to do in this space. And we're just so excited that our, our next 12 months is very heavily anchored off this core value proposition is for small business owners, we're the friendliest funding crew. And there's going to be different characterization around the different values that we're going to um, provide to the end customer, whether that's informational value, whether that is helping them to think about their funding strategy a bit more, a bit of that advisory or a bit of that partnership type of role. Yeah, we've rolled it all up into being their friendliest funding crew. <laughs> I love that. I love that, that you're the ones who are going to help small businesses land the plane uh, exactly. in the time of an emergency. So what does success look like for you? What's the big, hairy, audacious goal for FundFluent? Yeah, I think if we blow it out to like really, really far away and the super big, hairy, audacious goal, I would say it's actually our vision, which is to empower the world to be small business friendly. Now, you'll notice that in that sentence, there was no mention of the financial industry being the biggest fintech platform or being the biggest funding platform. Um, I truly believe that we have the ability to leverage technology to make the world, the ecosystem, everyone that wants to serve small businesses, they can do it in a small business friendly way. And it just so happens to be funding is the first part that we're looking very, very heavily into. So something more medium term in terms of what that um, audacious goal looks like is that we're able to give small businesses access to the friendliest funding crew that they can rely on whilst they go out there and drive lots of positive impact to the world. And I think the goal for us is always I know on our website right now, we write, you know, we put out there last year, we helped small businesses access US $7.5 million in funding. That's all great. But actually, the goal there is to shift that dollar amount to the actual impact that's driven um, in the world. Because we also believe that the funding then goes on to help the small business to actually drive real impact. And the real impact is always way beyond the dollar monetary term, right? So, yeah, in that sense, the goal there is to make sure that we are part of that enabler, the catalyst to really allow small businesses to go out there and drive lots of positive impact in the world. And our ability to measure that, like, will, will, will be the direct signal for us that we've, you know, achieve um, that goal. I love the mission. I'm so excited to see where this goes. I'll be following you guys very closely. So what's next? Are you entering any new markets this year? What's the next big step for FunFluent? Yeah, so we're launching Hong Kong since last year. We're growing into Singapore. We have a wait list that is in that market. We've, we've been present enough to actually really see that, you know, this this age-old problem exists in every market and the way we're solving for it really resonates with our second market, which is going to be Singapore. The next big thing for us and the way we're pushing our technology is how do we allow for those interactions to be AI-assisted, completely AI? So you might actually be interacting with characters of FunFluent or the funding crew of FunFluent and be able to get value either it's fully automated, 
semi-automated or purely human because we just believe that that human element is really, really important and that characterization is going to really bridge that friendliness, which technology in the past hasn't really done a really good job in that. It's very functional or especially in the B2B like area, it's definitely more function than than delightful. But we believe that with a lot of the stuff that's happening with generative AI and all that's moving on in that space, I think we believe we can make that whole topic much more humanized as well as the engagement. I'm going to go as far as saying the engagement is delightful. I yeah. mean, who would have thought, right? Like, <laughs> I mean, I mean, that's crazy. Like, are we are we really taking um, that that claim? Yes, we are. Like, we want that interaction to be delightful. But the belief is technology has an ability to make those funding experiences delightful. Who would have thought? Who would have thought? <laughs> this can happen sooner than you think. I mean, characters in general, like think of the most beloved characters in the world. They're not necessarily people. Think about Mickey Mouse, for example. Yes. So I think the idea that you could make these interactions of these characters delightful is 100% possible sooner than we think maybe even more delightful maybe even more delightful than human interact yeah anyway thank you so much for this chat i've really enjoyed this um you've made me think about so many things differently so thank you for that no it's my pleasure i hope it's helpful and it's just sharing everyone has a different journey and you know i i love to share the things that i've learned and picked up along the way and if it's helpful it's helpful if it's counterintuitive that's okay as well I love having these type of conversations and a, and a forum to share some of that experience with. Yeah, but if it's counterintuitive, it means that it's making you think differently, which I think is one of the most important things, particularly in this world where we all seem to inhabit our own little echo chambers. Yeah, so thank you so much, Jenny. No, it's my pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. Empowering the world to be small business friendly is, in my opinion, a pretty bold ambition. Small businesses represent almost 70% of all employers worldwide, and in developed economies, they account for 55% of GDP. So they are key for addressing diversity and inclusion. Since 2021, there's been a boom in the number of new businesses being registered by women and people of color. So supporting these businesses in their early days is key to narrowing income gaps. But I think my one key takeaway from this conversation was that Jenny's approach at every step is about solving the problem her customers really face. And she's thinking about this at all levels, from the language she uses, to how she communicates with subscribers, to how FunFluent as a platform is actually built. She recognizes that small business owners are often doing all of the roles and they don't have access to specialists. And she's creating a platform that's going to work for them. FunFluent is currently available to Hong Kong-based businesses and will be launching in Singapore soon. You can find the link to FunFluent in the bio. And I will be back in your ears next week with Sasibai Kimis, the founder of Earth Air, a social enterprise making beautiful accessories and helping Malaysian artisans develop sustainable income. It's also fair trade certified and one of Malaysia's first B Corps. She's also got some really good advice for all women entrepreneurs. So you'll want to check that one out. Bye.